morning. Get all the technology to work in, right? <laughs> Good to see everybody that's here this morning. Appreciate your attendance and for all those that helped with the service. Thank you and Gerald once again for the songs and for leading us in class this morning. We appreciate that. Title of our lesson this morning, Carpe Diem, a little uh, Latin there this morning, right? Uh, I have a feeling several of you may already know what that means. Yesterday I texted Gerald to tell him the lesson, and then he sent me back a text just before very long. Seize the day. <laughs> that's, what, uh, that's what that title means. So as we go along this morning, I hope that you'll come to see uh, why I gave it that title. So, Easter. I want to talk about that just a little bit in a minute. I put a question mark after that. Celebrate the resurrection? Yeah. And as Brian mentioned, even in his comments this morning, we did that last Sunday. We did it today. We're going to do it. We're going to do it again next week. So, um, that's, the, that's the first point that uh, I want to have in uh, this, this lesson. We need to be excited. But let me just kind of uh, say a little bit of something about Easter as we get into our lesson this morning. Uh, I have written down in my notes here, Easter? Is it okay to say Easter? Well, no and yes. <laughs> I asked James before he got up here this morning, I said, what translation are you going to read from? And he said, I'm going to read for the new King James Version. I said, do you have a King James Version? And he goes, well, not here, but I got one at home. <laughs> I said, if you had read from the King James Version this morning, you would have said... Easter, because in the King James, verse 4, Acts 12, verse 4, Peter was held until after the King James Version rendered that Easter. That word is actually from the Greek, which means Passover. In the New King James, they corrected that. If you look in the ESV, if you look in the American Standard, the New American Standard, the Revised Standard, all kinds of other translations, it always says Passover because it's supposed to be Passover. I won't get into all that about the King James Version and why they translate it that way because you didn't come here to listen to me complain. <laughs> I also asked Sam, since they're up here close, I said, did you notice that Christmas always comes on December 25th? Every year. This Christmas is December 25th. But have you noticed that Easter doesn't fall on the same day every year? Have you ever wondered why that is? I hope so, because I'm going to tell you in just a moment. <laughs> Last year, it was April 17th. This year, it's April 9th. Next year, it's going to be March 31st. Do you know why that is? Because Easter, this is man has done this. God didn't do this. Easter is set by the sun and by the moon. Did you know that? So here we go. On or about March 20th of this year, the sun crossed over into what is referred to, we refer to as the spring equinox. On that day, I don't remember March 20th exactly, but on March 20th, the daylight was just about exactly the same as the dark. And since then, the days have gotten just a little bit longer, right? So a little bit more daylight. 
So, according to the spring equinox, which would be about March 20th, then they wait till the first full moon. Have you noticed in the last three or four days, there's been a full moon? And do you know Easter is going to be the first Sunday after that first full moon, after the spring equinox? Have you got that? <laughs> Does that sound very biblical to you? <laughs> God has given us the first day of the week. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26. Paul said that he delivered to the Corinthians what had been delivered unto him. That in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And after the supper, he took the cup. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Does that sound like the death? The burial and the resurrection? It certainly does, doesn't it? <coughs> and in Acts the 20th chapter, about verse 7, we know the disciples came together upon the first day of the week. They came together on the first day of the week. They didn't wait for the sun. They didn't wait for a full moon. <laughs> they didn't wait till the Sunday after that. They came together every first day of the week. And they remembered the Lord, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Sometimes preachers complain about talking about Easter. But you didn't come here to hear me complain. You know what else preachers sometimes complain about? We can be kind of a whiny bunch if you listen to us long enough. <laughs> There's something known as the liturgical calendar. Within Christianity, they have special days that are marked off. A couple of those special days is like Christmas and like Easter. And do you know, oftentimes there are a lot of folks that show up on Christmas and Easter. And sometimes preachers complain, where are they the rest of the time? I've been one of those. <laughs> and then I got to thinking. People don't come here to listen to me complain. I believe the reason why people come here is because they want to hear about Jesus Christ. Is that true? I believe that's true. So that leads me to the title of this lesson. And the title of the lesson is Carpe Diem. Seize the day. Instead of complaining, why not seize the moment? Seize the day and tell people about Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we should do? That's what we should all do. Do you know what one preacher said? in regards to us coming together, he said, everything preaches. Everything preaches. You know what he meant by that? The kind of attitude that you and I as Christians come here with, that preaches. People come here, they see us, that preaches. The way we worship, that preaches. The way we greet visitors, that preaches. 
Are you excited about being here today? Our Lord is risen. Is that reason to be happy? To be joyous? I believe it is. And so we ought to seize the day and tell people about Jesus Christ and we ought to be excited about it. So this morning, what I want to do, (laughs) I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. The way in which I want to go about that is by telling you what Jesus said while he was hanging on that cross. Seven things he said. And I want us to just kind of work our way down through it. And I think we'll be able to tell you something very important about our Lord. First of all, Luke, the 23rd chapter. Start off with Luke chapter 23 and about verses 33 and 34. Luke chapter 23, beginning, I'll come back up to verse 32. Luke chapter 23 and verse 32. It says, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, There they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other one on the left. Then Jesus said, this is the first thing he said. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. The very first thing. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They had brought Jesus to Calvary. He was going to be crucified, put to death. He would be buried, but three days later, he would rise. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, in verses 1 through 4, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are also saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, some translations say, of first importance, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day, according to the To the scriptures. Paul says I delivered that message. Of first importance. Do you know why that's of first importance? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason why that is of first importance. Is because all of Christianity stands and falls on that truth. If Jesus was not crucified for our sins, if he was not buried, and if he was not bodily resurrected, then we might as well go home. And Paul will go ahead to say that in 1 Corinthians 15. If in this life only we have hoped, we of all men are most to be pitied. But he is risen. And that's the reason why we have hope. 
That's the reason why we should be excited about this day. As one Christian writer put it, he said, we need to hear that message with fresh ears. We need to be reminded. That's the hope we have. And that this life is not all there is. That when this life is over, we can have eternal life. And if somebody mentions Easter... And that gets them here to hear that message. We can work on the rest of it, right? <laughs> but first of all, we'll talk about that. And how Jesus instituted this. And how we celebrate that every first day. Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 33 and 34. They brought him to Calvary to crucify him. And the very first thing that Jesus says is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine that? While he is lying there on top of that cross, and they are driving those nails through his hands and through his feet, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Those men that nailed Jesus to the cross, they didn't understand. Roman soldiers. You're crucifying the Lord of glory. And Jesus says, forgive them. They didn't realize the sin that they were involved in. But you know what? Oftentimes we don't realize the sin that we are involved in. Do you know what God did for us graciously? He told us about our sins. Romans the seventh chapter and verse seven. Paul said, I would not have known coveting, I wouldn't have known it was wrong, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. God in His grace has told us what sin is. Most of you know that for a number of years <laughs> I worked for General Motors. Part of that time I worked as quote unquote a problem solver. <laughs> I often said we chase problems, we don't solve many. <laughs> but I worked as a problem solver. Do you know before you can solve a problem, you first have to identify the problem? <laughs> Paul saying that's what the law did for us. That identifies the problem. And it helps us to understand what Jesus did for us on that cross. And why Paul said, I deliver to you of first importance how that Christ died according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. God gave the answer. God gave the solution to our problem. Carpe diem. Seize the day. So we should be excited and we should be 
as Christians, we should be accepting. I'm going to read from Luke again, 23rd chapter. And this time I'm going to read verses 39 through 43. Luke 23, beginning at verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we, indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Three men. Jesus in the middle. Two criminals on each side. Verse 39, one of them is hurling insults at him. You the Christ? How about if you save yourself, save us too? The one on the other side said, don't you, don't you fear God? See, what's taking place there is you have two men, actually three, that have all been judged by the authorities, by the government authorities. And they've been determined, it's been judged that they are worthy of death. And one of them, even in the face of death, is still hurling insults at Jesus. And the other one says, we're receiving our just due. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. You know what's interesting about that whole exchange? It's if you back up to Matthew chapter 27, it actually suggests that when they are first hanging on the cross, when they are first nailed there, that they were both hurling insults at him. So I think it's kind of interesting that the one suffering the consequences of his actions, knowing that he is facing death, is still hurling insults at Jesus, but the other one on the other side, at first he does, and then he doesn't. He doesn't. Isn't that kind of interesting? What was it? At what moment did he finally really start to reflect upon his life and upon his condition and who that was that he was hanging next to. Have you ever known anybody like that? What is it that sometimes happens to a person, to an individual that the moral clarity that they seem to be lacking and their conscience being clouded, that at some point, 
it becomes clear. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen a person confronted with death? Maybe not their own, but with a loved one or with a friend or somebody close to them. And it makes them stop and think about life and the brevity of it and eternity and what happens when this life is over. There had to be some moment, some point in time where that one man, he finally reflected. He finally examined his own conscience. And he stopped hurling insults. And he turned to Jesus. You ever known that to happen in life? Yeah. A point in time where you had no regard for Jesus Christ? (laughs) Can you identify? But then there comes a moment when you do and you're thankful that you had the opportunity. I want you to think about that for just a moment. When that man woke up that morning and he knew he was headed to the cross, today is the day you're going to die. And at first, he's still not taking it serious. And then finally, he does. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know what is the most amazing, astounding part of that whole exchange? Do you not think Do you not think for a moment that while the Lord of glory is hanging there and he's know he's dying for the sins of the world and on either side of him there are men that are hurling insults at him and he knows he died for them and what do you think he's waiting on? If they would... If they would only turn. And finally one does. And he says, Lord. Remember me. Immediately. Jesus says, today. You'll be with me in paradise. Within moments. Of his death. And Jesus snatched him from the fire. Jesus accepted him as soon as he was willing to turn. We need to tell this story. John, the 19th chapter, verse 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, 
he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that on, from that hour on, that disciple took her into his own home. Father, forgive them. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And now he says, Woman, behold your son. And to that disciple, behold your mother. Jesus has been on the cross by about three hours now. He makes one statement, and there's silence. He makes a second statement, and there's silence. And then he makes a third statement as he looks down. And he says, woman, behold your son. You know, oftentimes we read this. And based upon this context, I mean, it's it's rightly so. We think, well, Jesus knew that he's leaving this world. And so he's making provision for his mother. And it says from that hour, that disciple took her. But you know what? Do you think, or maybe I should say this. What do you think Mary was thinking when Jesus said, Woman, behold thy son. Now that John, he was a good guy. (laughs) That's her son. Woman, behold thy son. I'll tell you this. I got one son. And there ain't nobody, I may be a little biased, (laughs) there ain't nobody that can take his place. (laughs) So Jesus says, woman, behold your son. You think she's saying, "Uh, yeah, John, he's okay. (laughs) But he ain't you, Jesus. So I think there's something more that is going on there than just he's making provision for her physical future. I think he's wanting her to see something. I think he's wanting her to see there's a new relationship. See, because I know this on another occasion in Mark the third chapter in about verse 23 through 25, there were those who came to Jesus on a particular occasion. There was all kinds of people around. And his mother and some of his brothers are outside. And they're wanting to talk to him. And they tell Jesus. And Jesus says, Who is my mother and my brother and my sisters? And then he follows it up. And he says, He who does the will of God. They are my brothers and my sister and my mother. I think Jesus is helping them to see, helping her to see, helping John to see. What I have brought you is a new family and a new way of understanding relationships. You know, because oftentimes, whenever we think about mom, (laughs) 
and we think about the mother. The mother's kind of the center of the home, isn't she? Kind of the center of the family. But in this family, guess who's center? It's Jesus. The relationship with Him is what we all revolve around. The relationship with Him is what makes the relationship between us. So that day, I believe Jesus wanted her to see. You've got to see me differently now. I'm not just your son. From now on, you've got to come to see I'm your Savior. Mary lost a son that day. But she gained a Savior. The reason why Mary is in heaven is not because he was her son. If Mary's in heaven, it's because she come to understand that he was her Lord and her Savior. And if Mary could talk to us today, I believe, you know what she would say to us? The life that I gave to Him does not compare to the life He gave me. Can we see that? We need to tell that story. Carpe diem. We need to teach the gospel. Matthew, the 27th chapter. Matthew, chapter 27, verses 45 through 46. Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, Mark tells us in the 15th chapter that Jesus was crucified the third hour. That's nine o'clock in the morning. And now when you come to the sixth hour, that's noon. And there is darkness that falls over the entire land and it stays dark until the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. And in the darkness, Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God. Jesus had hung there for three hours. Roman crucifixion, brutal, agonizing. It takes a long time. The Romans designed it that way. But now something happens at that sixth hour. And there's darkness. And I think that's for a reason. 
You know, because I think it's here that it makes us to stop and ponder and really think about what's going on on that cross. And this is the darkness. This is that deepness of that mystery. And I think we as human beings have trouble. We struggle with really trying to wrap our minds around what took place there. That Jesus was paying that price for us. And I think we have trouble fully understanding. Fully appreciating. And I'll just share a couple of verses with you. Because I can tell you the verses. But I don't think I can anyway adequately explain exactly what was taking place. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. He bore our sins. That's what Peter says. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. He knew no sin, but he took our sin. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Romans 3 verse 24 and 25. Christ Jesus was put forth, put forward as a propitiation by his blood. A propitiation. A covering, an atonement, his blood, him punished for our sins, to endure the horror of hell that sin can bring. Hebrews, the second chapter in verse 9. He tasted death. That's separation for every man. He tasted it so that you and I might not have to. John 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. So it's in those final moments. It's in those final moments now. In the darkness, hanging on that cross. He says, I thirst. And there's no doubt. You've probably read them. I've read them. Kind of the medical explanation of what is going on as a person is crucified. And the flogging that he had endured. And the loss of blood that he had. He has got to have fever. 
he has got to be agonizing. He can barely breathe hanging on that cross. He has got to be dehydrated. And he says, I thirst. We can point to the physical aspects of that. And we can say we understand that. And we can read from Psalms like Psalms 22 and Psalms 69 where it talks about his tongue sticking to his mouth. (laughs) You ever been there? (laughs) So hot and dry in the summertime. And you, you can't you can't even spit. <laughs> and so we kind of identify, right? They say, I thirst. But I think it was more than that. I think there's a spiritual aspect too. You know, we thirst in a physical sense. But there's other ways we thirst, don't we? Do we as human beings ever thirst for wealth? For power? For honor? For applause? For pleasure? For sin? But can we identify with the thief on the cross that said to Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. That there's a spiritual thirst of the soul that no one can satisfy and nothing can satisfy except Jesus Christ. There is only one place you find where you can quench that thirst. John the 7th chapter. Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. In John the 4th chapter, he said, Whoever drinks this water shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become a fountain in him springing up to eternal life. He's the one that quenches which is that thirst. Just like the thief on the cross. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Because that's where you find it. And just like the thief on the cross, you might only have today. We need to share the light of the gospel. John chapter 19. I'm going to read verse 30 now. John chapter 19 and verse 30. And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, because they they brought him, stretched it up to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. So in those last moments, they extended that 
hyssop up to him, soaked in wine, sour wine. And then Jesus said, it is finished. This is Friday afternoon. On the previous evening, Thursday night, when Jesus was praying John the 17th chapter, He said, Father, the work that you have given me to do, I have accomplished. I have accomplished the work that you have given me to do. Jesus loved his Father. Heart, mind, soul, with all of his strength. Loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to live a perfect life so that he could be that perfect sacrifice. He came that he might make complete atonement for our sins and to remove all condemnation for those who believe in him. And what Jesus is saying at that moment, it is finished. I've done it. And because of his work, For those who believe in Jesus Christ, the devil's defeated. The victory's ours. Our sins are forgiven. And though they be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. In him we become the accepted and the beloved. Our faith rests in his finished work. That's why Paul says, I deliver to you of first importance how that Christ died. He was buried and he was resurrected. Eternal joy waits for those who give their life to him. Just like that thief on the cross. Carpe diem. But finally... Luke 23. I'm going to read verse 44 through 46 and we'll wrap this up. Luke 23, 44 through 46. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus... And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. You know, oftentimes, maybe you've been around it to experience it, maybe you've talked to others who have. That if you're in the presence of, or not someone, in the presence of someone that's dying. Oftentimes at that point, at that moment, if they have anything to say, most often it's barely a whisper. And you have to get down close and listen close to what they have to say. But Jesus... The last thing he says, he cries out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, 
I commit my spirit. There was a centurion standing at the foot of the cross. And when that took place, he said, surely. This man was the son of God. (laughs) Because all that had taken place. And the way Jesus had responded to it all. His death was different. His death was different. You know, death is the separating of the body from the spirit. That's what James tells us. For the body without the spirit is dead. And the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us that the body returns to the dust from which it came but the Spirit returns unto God who gave it. When Jesus died, He did not fear death. Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. The Lord doesn't want us to fear death. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, So we are are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, that's why you're alive, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. But we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body, And to be present with the Lord. See what Paul's saying? For a Christian, it's better. I'm well pleased. I'm no longer in this old broken down painful. I'm at home with the Lord. That's what he wants. For us to be confident. He wants us to know where we're going when we die. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son and to the disciple, behold thy mother. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus endured that so that we might not have to. I thirst. And Jesus offers us living water. It is finished. He paid the price. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what Jesus did. He wants us to do the same. So here it is one last time. Carpe diem. You have today. You have the opportunity. If we can help you in any way. Make your relationship right with the Lord. Let us know. While together we stand. And while we sing.